Artists' Voices, Life in a Pandemic, is a new series of oral histories from the ESB Centre for the Study of Irish Art at the National Gallery of Ireland. These oral histories were recorded as a series of conversations with artists to document their experiences during the global COVID-19 pandemic. This series is produced with the kind support of ESB, sponsor of the ESB Centre for the Study of Irish Art. This episode of Artists' Voices, Life in a Pandemic features artist Mairead Ohoka in conversation from her home in Dublin City on Friday 22nd of May 2020. Born in Dublin, Mairead Ohoka lives and works in Dublin City Centre. She is a painter who works primarily in oil while also producing a small number of works in watercolour and more recently ink on paper. She practices a conceptual approach to painting focusing on sets of seemingly unremarkable and disparate cultural sources that allow her to explore form, colour, gesture and composition in her paintings while reflecting on deeper aspects of human nature. Her most recent series focuses on the exhibits or stuffed animals at Dublin's Natural History Museum. These paintings speak to her interests in humans' relationship to other species and the wider history, politics and ethics of representation and display of non-human species. Her painting, Orangutan, Natural History Museum, was acquired by the National Gallery of Ireland in 2020. Mairead generously agreed to talk about her life and work as an artist during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello Mairead, we spoke a few years ago when you were working on a series of flower paintings And I was interested by your description of your painting process at that time and the exploration of your subject as a a learning experience. It was painting as learning, you said. Over the last year, you've been completing a new series of works focusing on the exhibits or the stuffed animals at Dublin's Natural History Museum, a place known for its Victorian interior and antique display cabinets, as much as for the animal specimens in its collection. Could you describe what drew you to this site as a source for subject matter for your new paintings and this process of personal learning that you once described? Okay, well, the Dead Zoo is a really popular subject for artists and I actually live near the museum. So I used to pass it and think how much I'd like to work there um, if I could find a way. Um, So the space itself, it's visually, it's very compelling, um, but it's also optically it's like an assault there's the subject in is is just really quite complex I mean there's the crazy theater of life and death there's the grand folly of the colonial trophy cabinets the space itself um the jumble of wild animals so um I I just thought about going in there and making pencil drawings um, on the spot for a few months and then I go to the studio and I'd make sketches so generally what I'll do is while I have some kind of intention I allow unconscious input to surface so actually the, the work was conducted over a long period possibly of maybe more than two two and a half years so um, I, I was saying about animals and you know in the story of art they take central position you know if you consider cave paintings and um i was thinking about how i could make this relevant in terms of my own approach so um you're right in that i'm interested in looking at painting as a method of learning and i see painting as quite a 
prismatic exercise in that it refracts so many things. Um, it refracts as well as a subject, the history of painting itself. And this is all done through the making of the painting. So when I was making these works, I was looking at um, people like Delacroix and I was also thinking about how the, the principle of camouflage, if, if you study it, is that the silhouette of an animal is concealed by the trick of the markings. And when I was approaching the paintings, I was thinking about this. And really there's, um, there's a correlation between the uh, concept and painting of figure ground relationship. So all of these things, I suppose, came in and out of this particular body of work. But I was also thinking about, I suppose, the disconnect we have with the, the material disconnect we have and the kind of sliding windows sensation. We're always at one remove in terms of how we experience, you know, the animal kingdom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, painting is like an opportunity to re-scramble the codes of historic painting into a contemporary register. I suppose we, you know, I'm interested in how we represent nature and really I think it, re it reveals more about us, our vanities and fears, than it does about nature or the animal kingdom. And what was your experience of working in the, the museum environment, looking and observing, sketching, while being surrounded by these specimens of living creatures. Yeah, I mean, it's a cemetery, isn't it? It's a cemetery of fur and skeletons. And um, in reading around the subject, I was struck by um, the coining of a phrase um, of odorama, that there's a smell. So it's like a different sensory system to, to the visual. Um, mm. But it's very calming and um, it's yeah, a library, a library, and a, and a cemetery at the same time. The paintings you made of these displays include a variety of animals, including bats, monkeys, apes, a mountain goat, and different birds. How did you select your specific subjects, or why did certain animals draw your attention? Um, I. It was a, a trade-off, really. I mean, all, all the animals in the end are. <laughs> There's no animal that exists that isn't interesting. So I guess the animals that made it through in terms of the exhibition are those that lent themselves to the ideas that were being played out in the studio. And so that would include the, the lighting and, and the complex lighting systems within that space um, brought certain technical challenges, but also lent themselves to this idea of camouflage and um, animals receding and and reappearing in space. I'm interested in this relationship you're suggesting between camouflage and the animal's evolutionary relationship and adaptation to its environment to the process of painting in a, in a formal sense. It could be seen as a relationship between form that is also echoed perhaps in the process of taxidermy and the preparation of the animal for display in the museum. Is that something that, a relationship that you could talk a little bit more about? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to this idea of how we represent nature and 
it, it's really always represented in, in, in our own um, eyes and our own understanding of the world. But um, the, the, the design of the exhibits um, follows the requirements of, of space, but they also are quite carefully composed. And um, there's a very specific art, of course, to creating these exhibits. Um, one that's, well, what, what's remarkable is um, the larger animals, they would have been sculpted initially in clay. Armatures would have been set up and um, trained sculptors would have um, designed the forms and, and quite accurately represented the animals, um, which is quite an undertaking. Um, casts would be taken. Um, so the challenge to make um, the animals seem lifelike is, is considerable. And in so many cases, they seem to have managed it. Could you describe how your interests and learning in the museum space are then transferred to the studio space and that different environment and to the production of paintings? So I, I would return to the studio and would sketch up uh, colour studies. Um, and there's, there's no kind of grand plan. I, um, and as, I, as I've said, I, I really allow enough space for, for failure and experimentation um, to happen. And so the direction that the work takes is really quite organic, um, but not without considering the conceptual intention of, of what the work could be. So there's, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really not rocket science. It's probably the oldest way that artists have made paintings and make sketches and that they allow the um, paintings to evolve. It's not such an interesting conversation in a way. There's, <laughs> there's something kind of opaque about it. Your studio is in Dublin city centre. Could you describe what is involved in a regular day for you in the studio and uh, the process of making art? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the working day is arrive between nine or ten and work right through to the evening. And it's quite an immersive um, type of way of producing work. I, I mean, the painter um, has to put in the hours. It's extremely labour intensive and connection with the um, development of the work has to be kept going. Uh, can, to make a break, it's just impossible to get back into it. So I think, yeah, um, for me, it's really important yeah, to go in every day and to just nudge things along. Sometimes things go very fast. Sometimes they go very slowly. Um, so you have to keep a company. So I would have several works um, on the go at the same time. And I'd also have lots of dead ends and side roads, which um, I quite enjoy. I find the studio is, is, is best for making work and um, I'd find other time and spaces to do reading. Our relationship as humans to our environment and other animals has perhaps a particular resonance with people at the moment due to our heightened awareness of the COVID-19 virus which of course emerged from another species originally. While you started this work before COVID-19, I expect it will be difficult to look at these paintings now 
and not think about the wider issues relating to our current relationship with other life forms with which we share this planet and how we engage with them. Um, well, yeah, it's funny how so many artworks have suddenly taken on significances in the current situation. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, I, I have been thinking a lot about it. I mean, clearly we've been at a critical tipping point for some time now. And I just hope that this horrible reality um, will give us a chance to press pause in the frenzied race to destroy the planet. Um, but the um, Extinction Rebellion were staging protests just outside the museum over the last maybe year and a half. And I was, I was conscious of that, but I think there's a coincidence in, in terms of the timing of this. For me, I would make work that wasn't very pointed in terms of a political statement. I, I, that um, isn't a, a type of approach I take. You know, it, I wouldn't foreground a particular uh, message um, so I don't know how to answer it. I mean, obviously it seems relevant. I suppose I'd hope that, I don't believe the work's that didactic and that there are multiple maybe ways of engaging with the work and um, the artist makes the work, but really what people do with that work in terms of how they respond to it, uh, ho hopefully is quite, um, expansive. Today is 26th of May 2020 and we are currently all living with strict social distancing measures and travel restrictions as a means to controlling the virus. How has this new way of living that we found ourselves in affected your ability to work as an artist or how are you are you making work? Um, mm, well I've crushed up my to-do list so I just don't feel the need to carry on making work regardless. I need to really take a step back and think about what the whole situation means, how it's going to play out and what, I don't know, I suppose how I might want to continue making work. So I haven't been going into the studio very much. Um, I've been taking time out. I've been reading and just come to terms with everything really. I will go into the studio very soon. Um, well, I have started again. It's, 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 it keeps me company and I think there's something um, uh, necessary about yeah. me going in, into the studio, regardless of what I, I make, you know, it may all end up in the bin, but um, I, I, I don't have any set ideas. Um, between um, shows, I have lots of sort discarded or uh, semi-finished work that I'll pick up and consider. Um, but I don't have any set agenda. I have no plan. I have no plan. I have no plan. Is there anything that has surprised you about uh, how we've dealt with or responded to this situation that we found ourselves in? Um, relating to the the pandemic and it's either it's global global impact or it's uh, impact on a local level. If I didn't know it already, I'm completely dependent on technology, which is ironic because 
I took a painting because I was couldn't stand sitting in front of a computer. There was far too much screen time. But I find myself completely reliant on my phone. Um, it's not even a third limb now. It's like an internal organ. And then there's Instagram, which I would never have got around to joining. I'm such a late adopter. There's, um, yeah, there's, there's an acknowledgement of, of how central technology is to my living. Um, so I don't know what to do about that. I think it's too late to do anything about that. Um, I, what I am surprised about is when I think and look at how the EU was so poorly coordinated in alerting and planning and managing the situation. I, um, I think one of the main reasons we would have joined the EU was to, I suppose, secure some kind of um, solidarity between the states in um, managing, you know, a, a serious emergency, and that didn't seem to play out initially at all. Uh, so that really surprised me. Maybe it shouldn't have. The lack of solidarity with, um, for instance, Italy now, and there seemed to be um, a refusal to mutualize the debt. So I think they've come closer to an agreement there. So. All of that, maybe it shouldn't have surprised me, but it really did. It shocked me. Mm. So um, on a positive note, I think um, whatever you say about the politics of Leo Varadkar, um, I think as a medic, he understood how the spread of the virus was going to play out. And he early on just didn't need explaining. Um, he just took quite, I think, decisive action. Um, if you consider the very confused um, policies, the lack of coherence in places like America and the UK. So that was good. Um, and the COVID um, payment, I think that was swiftly implemented. And okay, maybe everybody didn't get it, but I do think there was quite a genuine attempt to stop people falling over a cliff financially. So those kind of things. It, if I could ask one final question, um, it's obviously a very difficult and traumatic and uh, uncertain time for many people at the moment. But where do you personally find or see hope for the future? And both in terms of where we might be and also what we might take with us from this experience or that you've learned from this experience? Well, um, I live in the city and the city's transformed. Um, I mean, it's so much more pleasant. The traffic's gone, the daily um, grind and the tyranny of purpose seems to have faded. Um, remarkable to see the amount of people that have taken up running and cycling and jogging. Um, I don't know, I was thinking maybe, it's, maybe this is what Dublin was like in the 1930s. Obviously, there aren't many horses around. We could improve it with a few more horses. Um, yeah, well, we've all been pushed back into the corners of our lives, and that's a strange experience. But really, realistically, um, I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, I just think there's a, a mortifying um, lack of uh, responsibility um, for the damage we're doing. 
um, to the planet. So um, I think it's naive to hope for a new world order, um, but we are running out of time and I'd really hope we could figure out some more responsible ways for society to continue. Um, yeah. And if we can't save ourselves, maybe could we save the animals at least? This conversation with artist Mairead Oka from her home in Dublin was recorded on the 22nd of May 2020 through a video call with Donal Maguire, curator of the ESB Centre for the Study of Irish Art at the National Gallery of Ireland.